Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. This week, I'd like to thank Kim Crawley, our newest patron. Uh, your support is such a boost for us here at Blueprints, and uh, it truly reminds us that we're reaching people and folks are appreciating the content. So thank you very much, Kim. This show often focuses on organizers and activists, and although my next guest, Duncan Pike, fits that bill, this episode also provides a glimpse into the Institute for Change Leaders, an organization with the explicit goal of empowering and equipping new leaders and getting folks ready to mobilize more and more towards change. In the interview, Duncan challenges the definition of leadership, and while sharing his own journey into activism, we also get some basic tools in how to make a plan for change and how to share that theory of change with other people. I learned a lot from Duncan, and I was lucky enough to take one of the courses at ICL. So take a listen, and I encourage you to check out the Institute for Change Leaders a little bit more when you're done listening to the show. Good afternoon. Welcome, Duncan. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Jessica. Let's take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners, you know, who you are, what you're doing at the moment. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, Duncan. So uh, I am communications manager and also a trainer and facilitator with the Institute for Change Leaders. And we are an organization, we're based in Toronto, operate across the country and we offer uh, community organizing training and we partner with groups across the country, uh, nonprofits, unions, uh, labor movement, uh, social movement groups. Um, yeah. And um, I've been there for about three or four years now. You teach people how to be organizers. Mm -hmm. How did you become an organizer? It's a great question. Um, so I first uh, became involved with this curriculum and with this methodology of, of community organizing when I was uh, I was a communications and um, campaigns coordinator with a group called Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. And we were organizing a, a campaign around um, getting this uh, a new law passed to, to protect journalists whose sources were being um, demanded by, by judges and by police and who were being spied on. I mean, there was this really famous, um, um, outrageous incident in um, for five or six years ago where Quebec police had been spying on like 12 uh, journalists in Quebec, um, had actually been following around their movements, had, had bugged their phones to try and find out who was a anonymous source within the police movement who was kind of report, they were reporting on corruption, corruption within Quebec police. Um, and there's this huge scandal. And Part of the scandal was that this was all perfectly legal. Like everything that they were doing was totally allowed, um, and that they were like the the judges had warrants, and like the the justices of the peace had signed off on this. Um, and this had really shocked a lot of people in Canada. And, and my job uh, was like, what are we going to do about it? Um, and so we, as part of this campaign, there was um, a, a senator had introduced a bill, a private member's bill, to say basically make it a lot harder for for police to be able to get these kind of warrants um, and to protect journalists from having to reveal their sources in, um, in, a, in the context of a courtroom. Um, and, but it was a private member's bill. These almost never, ever get passed in, in the government. Um, and it was a conservative senator, so it was an opposition senator introducing it as well. It just happened to be one who had taken on this issue. Um, and so I 
I didn't I didn't have a background as much in organizing at the time or or advocacy. I was kind of more on like the policy side. Um, so I took this this course at, at X University. It was being is taught by Olivia Chow, um, and it's this this method for this um, methodology and this approach for bringing people together um, for actually taking uh, a challenge that people are facing in the world and um, actually uh, making a change and, and forcing people in power to to do what you want to. To, to, to win a change, a concrete change in the world. And this was a really clear campaign we could we could kind of use this methodology on um, and practice it. Um, and so within, I took this course, um, I was immediately really um, wowed by it. It was, it was really transformational for me. And I, I, I loved the approach. And we kind of implemented it right away at, at CJFE um, alongside the whole team there. Um, and brought people together. We organized like a, a day of action. We organized social media campaigns. We had uh, people from around the world, journalist unions from around the world and, and press freedom groups from around the world, um, joining our campaign, putting pressure on the, on the Trudeau government to support this private members bill to increase protections for journalist sources. Um, and we ended up, um, like our campaign and, and, other, and um, other, other groups who were pushing for this got the Canadian government and got the got the Trudeau government to to agree to get past this bill. And then a couple months later, um, like within a year, they had passed the bill and, and, and it was law of the land. So, and it was really exciting to be a part of this process where we had, we had moved from um, really kind of unlikely uh, change happening. Like I said, private members bills almost never pass to, to this being a, like a real concrete change and increase in, in protections for journalists in Canada. Um, and I was really hooked. I, I really love this, this approach. I didn't, like I said, I didn't have much of a background or much, much of a history in, in political or community organizing before that. Um, but I stayed connected with it. I loved, I loved the work. I started volunteering with the Institute for Change Leaders. Um, this was like four years ago or so. And I just gradually started doing more. And I wanted to get dive more deeply into the methodology and the approach um, and started helping like volunteering to, to, to coach and to, to mentor people. and. Um, and gradually did more and more. And now I'm working there full time and, and I'm a teacher and facilitator for a lot of different kinds of groups. That's amazing. So thanks for sharing, like, you know, how you got there. I hear you say, you know, you didn't know how to get there, but you knew you had to do something, right? What are we going to do? Not everybody asks themselves that, you know that, right? Like some people are frustrated by what's going on or see wrongs, um, you know, in what they do. I'm curious if you know where your drive to actually take that next step to go seek the tools needed to make that campaign a success. Some would have just shrugged their shoulders, issued an article, you know, done maybe the bare minimum. What pushes you to make massive changes like that? It's a really good question. And um, like one of the things we teach um, is, is the power of storytelling and the power of like your own personal experience in, in moving people. And so I've reflected a lot on that. And some people have like a really clear, like, you know, when I was six, they tried to bulldoze my park. And so I stood up and, you know, that's when everything changed for me. And I, I, I think it, it's, it goes back to, to how I was raised. And I think about um, my dad from when I was very young talking about like the importance of labor unions and, and little guys sticking up for themselves. And like, I'm the angriest I've ever seen him was when like the the conservative government in BC, like fired one third of public sector workers and like one go and all unionized workers and tore up contracts and just furious. It's really gentle guy and just really stuck with me. And like the basic feeling of that, like we're all in this together and, um, and that we have to, we have to look out for each other and that like 
no one is is really better than anyone else in the end um fundamentally but then in practice obviously that's that's not how how it works and because of power imbalances because there's, there's so much injustice in society in so many different ways um and so i think it, it goes back to that a little bit and and i think i came to this relatively late because i wasn't introduced to these these kind of approaches um for making a change and i think a lot of it uh i, I came to it from like a almost like a technocratic way, like the, the way that the way to, to make a change is better policy or more research. And there, and there are these, these can be really important ways of doing it. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons I really like the fact that we work with a lot of younger folks, a lot of youth, a lot of, a lot of teenagers as well is because I think being introduced to these kind of ways of thinking about change in the world um, at a young age is really important because I don't think people are, in high school or, or even a lot of time in university, um, let alone elementary school taught like that these are actually ways you can make a difference in the world. Um, and that ordinary people can, can come together and build power and make change. And it doesn't have to be about like working through established, um, established avenues for doing that. Like people say like, Oh, you know what, if you care so much, go out and vote, vote really hard. But there's so <laughs> many, there's so many other ways uh, and voting, voting can be really important, of course, but like, there's so many other ways that people can come together and build power and, and incredibly, uh, powerful stories from throughout history and, and the history of our country as well, um, to, for, for when that happens and how that happens. Um, and, and the more, the more I'm engaged in this work, um, the more I see it happen, like on, on like an individual level, people realizing that they have this power and, and the people in their community who face the same challenge can come together and make a difference sometimes on a really small scale uh, and sometimes like transforming um, on the national scale, like winning, winning universal childcare. Um, like these, these kind of things can happen. And once you start seeing that happen, it, it, it gets really addictive and it's kind of like a positive, it's a virtuous cycle. People, um, you want to continue, you continue seeing people, the eyes light up and realize that they have this, they have this fire within them to want to do this and they have stories that, that move them and experiences that move them to want to want to be leaders and, and that they're called to leadership and that they can learn the tools to actually put this in practice. And it's a really exciting thing. I too had a father who, you know, railed against injustice and um, was a, a union steward and yeah, he was a waffle member as well. Right. But um, I just like, I understand, I can see that as a child where you start to understand that things that don't happen to you are just as bad, you know, where it's an injustice anywhere um, kind of deal. So yeah. I appreciate that. Um, thanks for sharing kind of your, your origin story. <laughs> we did get it out of you. And so, yes, it took a right? while. There was a moment I really, I remember too, like we were, when we were, we were like leaving dinner downtown and like, it was like December or something like that. And we had this old like 77 green Volkswagen van, which we loved. My parents were hippies. You could probably tell. And like there was, and there was this, this man sleeping on the street and it was really cold. And, and my parents had gathered all the blankets up and just like left it out and, and gave it to him. And I was, I was like six or seven years old. And it was just like little moments like that stick with me. I mean, it's a, it's a privileged moment. Of course, like we were, the, we were the ones giving the blanket in that way. And we weren't, we weren't transforming the system, but it was just like that, just like small gesture that like, of, of care and, and outreach and, um, and support. Yeah. Sticks with me. The two, like, I think collective responsibility, you know, it's not just you and your home that you're responsible for. Right. Um, it's yeah. kind of, we have responsibilities greater than ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk nuts and bolts. So the Institute for change leaders though, 
I see on the website that, you know, uh, a lot of success stories working with PSWs uh, to secure better long-term care, um, Black Youth Leadership Program, working with the African Center for Refugees. But how do you guys help, right? How do you folks do, what are you going in there and doing? Are you, is it just lessons? Is it pure academics? No, it's definitely not pure academics. Um, like we are, we're a training and capacity building organization first and foremost. And so we, we partner with groups like, like the ones you mentioned, like folks in long-term care. So for, I can use it an example right now. I'm, I'm, I'm leading a course, um, gets folks from all across the country and, and from a lot of different backgrounds and communities, but there's a big contingent of folks who work in long-term care or PSWs. Um, and basically, and this is kind of a, one of one of the most common approaches we take and and our kind of template course where it's it's like an eight part series and and we start with um offering introduction to some basic organizing practices like trying to clarify like what is who are who are the people you're working with who is your community um and uh, what is the main challenge they face like what's the goal you're trying to accomplish what's some ideas you have about how you're going to accomplish it and like when when is a what's your timeline you're working with um, and what this does, and then there's kind of like one half of this is a little bit of lecture component. Like here's some of the core ideas, um, to, to, you know, to set the stage and you, we want to introduce people to, and then the second half of everything we do, um, it's equal time for like a small group session where we actually put these ideas into practice. So there's brainstorming, there's coaching, there's mentoring, where we work through all this together, um, to try and clarify, like what, it, what is the goal you're actually trying to accomplish? Like what's, what's the, what's the thing that would actually make a concrete difference in the life of the people in your community. Um, and we build on that, um, with, um, training in, in public narrative, it's called, and this is, um, a combination of like a story of, of your personal narrative, kind of a little bit what I, what I said at the start, like, what is it that calls you as an individual to leadership? Like what's a key moment in your life where you stood up and, and, and decided you wanted to make a change, you wanted to make a difference. And, and what does this reveal about who you are and what your values are? Um, and then story of us, which is like, what is the challenge that your community faces? Like, what what is uh, what binds you as an individual to those who you want to organize? Who are you who you're organizing with? What's the shared challenge you face? And what's the values that unite you as a community? And that could be um, anything for like PSWs, like they're, they, they all, they all know what, the, what binds them. They face terrible working conditions, underpay, uh, understaffed, um, and they're bound by values as well. And this, this could, this would include people who aren't necessarily directly part of that. Like they weren't also PSWs, but people who care about looking after people who live in long-term care, folks from the disability community, seniors, folks who need this, they say like, no one should be um, overworked. No one should, no one should be forgotten and treated this poorly. Um, and then the story of like, why is it that we, why is it important that we take action now? Like, what is the urgency of this challenge? Like, what is it that's going to, okay, we share the same challenge, but like, what is it we, what is it that's actually going to get me off the couch at the end of the day when I've been working hard to want to actually take action, right? To want to talk to my fellow coworkers to get them to come together. That's going to want to get us to write letters to the editor. That's going to get us to pick it outside the, the minister for long-term care. Um, and once you've established this, that's, that's how you build a really strong relationship and a sense of shared identity and a shared, uh, sense of shared purpose. Um, it's going to actually provide the, the moral and the, um, the, the social basis for actually taking collective action together. And then we kind of move on from that to some of the base, some of the kind of nuts and bolts of 
okay, you've identified what your goal is, who your people are, and how you're going to come together. Um, but what's um, how do you how do you come up with a strategy that's actually going to get you what you want? It's something a theory of change for why the actions you're taking are actually going to lead to the outcome that you want, and who actually has power in this situation, right? Because a lot of times it's 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 not it's not necessarily super clear. Sometimes it's clear, but you misidentify or you you, you misunderstand like what is it that's actually driving them, right? A lot of time a lot of times we come together. The first thing people think is, okay, we like raise awareness, right? That's always the first thing people think. If more people know about this issue and all the trouble we're having and all the problems we face, then something will happen. Um, and the classic one of that is climate change, right? It's like, if more people know about how bad climate change is, we're going to solve it, right? My four-year-old well, knows. That's not the problem. Yeah, right? So like, and the, the, the climate change, the oil executives know, right? Like every, everyone knows. You can't possibly say people don't know about the risk of climate change, but that's not enough, right? Um, so thinking like, what's, what is actually, can we do based on the resources we have to actually make a change and to, to force those people, um, given what their interests are, to doing what, what needs to be done? Uh, so we can we can win the change we need to see in the world, um, and then move on from that. And then all of this is like we the, uh, work through the kind of main concepts of this, and then always go into like kind of a small group session, and we collaborate and we say like, hey, let's work through this together. And we have um, we have worksheets, we have like structures for like thinking through like each one of these, like fill this out, work on this together. And so and then you have a developed theory of change, you have a developed strategy that you can test, that you can share um co-develop with the people you're working with uh, and then like how do we put this into practice like what are tactics we can develop that would effectively implement this theory of change uh in in the world and, and actually uh, actually move the decision maker move the person in power and and build up the capacity of our organization and develop the leadership of the people who are part of our community so that if this doesn't work right away um we need to change our strategy we're still in a better place like people have had some experience people have grown as leaders we have more people joined our organization has more power and more capacity um and then ideally that leads to victory right you've 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 won some kind of change in the world um and you can move on to the next thing and usually we try and we we try and focus people on like what's in let's say the next six months like what's an immediately achievable goal and like, like and there's the mountaintop goal like we want to we want to transform. Uh, we want to end capitalism in Canada, or we want to uh, we want to nationalize the oil industry. Whatever, whatever it is, or like we, we or even like, yeah, or we let's uh, depending on what, what group we're working with, or we, or we want like um, we want like a national long term care, universal long term care, uh, public long term care. So like okay, that's like a that's a mountaintop goal you work to over many years with with a huge number of people, but like within your own community. Um, okay, maybe it's just this one long-term care center. We want to we want to make sure that we uh, maintain like specific hours in this case, or there's a certain policy that the management has put in that we want to overturn, and that that's something you can win with your own colleagues, and then once like just the people in your building, and once you've won that, you're in a better place to actually win. You're more powerful. You have the capacity. You have the skills. You can. You're in a better place to win that the next thing uh, along the along the line. So. My favorite part about what you folks do is that you spend your energy on what I think is like our most valuable resource and it's people. Yeah. Because like any activist will tell you or, or any anybody who's kind of politically aware, I feel like one of our biggest frustrations is like, why don't more people get as mad as me? Or why don't <laughs> why won't more people come out and do what needs to get done? You know, um, 
before we started recording talking about why you know disrupting the infrastructure right like that that book um by andreas mob i think right mom yeah mom thank you where you know why aren't more people actually taking the action needed to bring about the change they are already aware we know we need right and so you guys or you folks teach people how to create more um involved people right because without political political will will only come from the masses right i think we all understand that the politicians only act when enough of us demand something but it's just getting enough people to demand that thing that seems to be tricky so you you folks at ICL seem to have a theory on exactly how one can take an issue and mobilize people around it i mean that's an invaluable skill for me i i would wish we could disseminate this information to absolutely everybody, um, perhaps a high school course um, in organizing, but we know the establishment will not give us the tools we need to overthrow it. Right? We will need <laughs> institutions like ICL and whatnot to provide these tools. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we we don't learn about how to organize our power or direct our power in in high school and whatnot. Um, that's you know, uh, by design. So I, I'm ha- I'm happy to see that folks are out there kind of disrupting that and teaching the youth because <clears throat> all that awareness has paid off, right? Our youth are completely aware that job is done. They just need the tools to to take it forward. So yeah, um, yeah. And I think um, you mentioned one of the things we do. Um, like we do have we do work with um, a couple a couple youth programs, like you said, the Black Youth Leadership Program, and a good example of that. And we teach these skills. It's a bit, bit of a modified curriculum, but um, one of the one of the stories we're really proud of, or, or examples, is um, two two young men named Lookman and Hickman, who um, whose principal uh, brought in this policy that uh, do rags were you know the gang affiliated dress and prohibiting them from from being used in the school or being worn in the school. And they're they're graduates of this Black Youth Leadership Program that we. Uh, we do in partnership with a group called Poor Youth Initiative, um, and so they they actually ran a campaign based on a lot of these principles um, that that stress like this is this is culturally uh, relevant dress like this is this is this is uh, part of our culture um, and racist to call it gang affiliated and, and denied on that basis and they you know they brought their classmates together they posted around around the school and and called in like. Um, uh, other teachers and and parents and and folks um i think in like the school trustees and and got the got the principal to reverse this and and affirm this as culturally relevant dress uh, which just like at, at like an immediately small scale like they were able to use these skills use these principles to push back against injustice in a way that was really inspiring and, and really cool that's a great success story i read about it online and watched watched the video so to see youth kind of get successes like that i'm sure they've now had that taste and there's no stopping you know those (laughs) two and it's like that snowball effect right um duncan i'm sure you've planted so many seeds you've actually seen sowed, but you don't see what those seedlings that come from those right like you can just imagine how exponential your work doing that kind of stuff can be right yeah, one of my favorite things to do is like I, I we one of the, the people that we teach and especially ones that in the class classes that I teach, um, like setting up calls like six months out and a year out, like to, for check ins, like one on one conversations, being like, where's your organizing at? Like, what's going on? Like, how, what challenges are you facing? How are you doing? And and seeing 
seeing that continue on. Um, I think one of the challenges we have is like we are, we are limited by capacity. We're still a relatively small organization, but would love to do more of that, right? Like having like long-term uh, partnerships and, and help to grow, like you said, this, this movement of people who, who have started these skills and have, have continued this work and, and think about this, like an, like an ecosystem that we can continue to support people and, and bring more people in is kind of like a, one of the next steps, hopefully, as we continue to grow and, and do this work. So if, if folks like Lookman and Hickman are going to be our future leaders, you know, and, and change kind of lies within new leadership, what element is missing from our current leadership? What, what is different about the leaders emerging from ICL that will allow us to actually get the change that we need? Because we have leaders, right? There's lots of leaders, Duncan. Um, the legislature is apparently full of them. You know, we have office towers apparently filled with them but nothing is happening. So do we need, what's in these leaders that's going to make the difference? It's a really great question. Um, and I, I don't, I, we don't need to get into semantics, but I guess it goes back to how you define leader, right? Um, and what exactly that means. Um, and one of the things I really love about this approach, um, was, uh, and this, this, um, the curriculum that we teach was, was developed by a guy named Marshall Gantz, um, who was uh, involved in the civil rights movement and one of the leaders with Cesar Chavez of, of the California Great Boycott um, of the 1960s and 70s with the United Farm Workers. And he took a lot of what um, he had learned um, from all this time and, and um, in the labor movement, in the civil rights movement, and um, kind of codified the best practices, things like what, what allows people to come together um, to make a change. Like folks, like you said, who, who don't have money, but they have people. Um, and where, how do they build power to win the change they need in the world? And the way he defines leadership is um, enabling others to accept uh, res- positions to accept responsibility under conditions of uncertainty, um, and that leadership isn't is a practice. It's not it's not a position that you occupy in like a, a structure of authority or in a hierarchy. Um, it's not something leadership isn't something you get by virtue of like who you are or what your job title is. It's something you practice, and it's something that anyone can practice. Within, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, um, and anyone can learn these these skills. And it's like I said, it's about it's about bringing people together and enabling them to accept responsibility um, to make a change under conditions of uncertainty. So when you don't know if what you're going to do is going to work, when you don't know what the reaction is going to be, if there's going to be a backlash, um, you can't make any promises based on because um, you know power is the power that you're challenging is always going to always going to push back in ways that you can't always uh, predict. Um, but it's enabling people to access the moral resources, uh, the spiritual resources, um, and the, the sense of solidarity and community uh, and urgency to say that we that we have to make this change. Um, we're we're in this together. Uh, we have to do. We have to take action together. And here's what here's how we can make a change. Here's and like let's let's develop this together. Let's let's figure this out together. What are we going to do? Who's going to do what? And then let's do it. Um, and in terms like leadership can be some who's someone who's a CEO. He went to the right, went to the right schools, you know, is the right, the right color and, and gender. Um, the right in terms of like in that, within that hierarchy. Duncan's using air quotes for those who can't. <laughs> There's right. We're, we're doing audio. Full disclosure. You can't see that. Um, but, but isn't practicing that kind of leadership, right? Isn't, isn't there to, to build up the leadership and, and from, from those who are below them in the hierarchy. Um, so that's, we need more of those kind of leaders, right? The leaders who, who are, 
who are developing the leadership of others and enabling others. And that's kind of baked into how we do the work that we do, right? We always, we're always trying to develop new leaders. We always bring people in and are constantly training new trainers so that they can take their curriculum that we've taught and then bring that to their, their own community and teach the people there. And so that's something we're really proud of that we're always teaching new teachers. Um, folks come on as facilitators and that's exactly how I, I got involved. I took the class and then I, I volunteered as a, like a co-facilitator. And then I started being and then and facilitating and, and we pay all our facilitators. Um, this is uh, people are laboring, doing the labor and get trying to get paid um, I need to get paid to do it and, and constantly developing new teachers and new facilitators so that you can go on to your, your community and you, and share these, these lessons. And, and then you develop the leadership of the people in your, in your community as well. Um, and so we're constantly doing that. And I think one of, one of the ways, like the, the biggest uh, initiatives and the biggest, uh, partnerships we've had over the past few years is with, uh, early childhood educators and childcare workers in Ontario. Um, and our, our founder, Olivia Chow, obviously, uh, this has been something she's worked on for her whole career um, and worked with Association of Early Childhood Educators of Ontario and Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care and had trained, directly trained hundreds and, uh, and hundreds of child care workers in Ontario on these principles about how to, how to build, how do you turn your community into a constituency that can take action together, how to turn a group of child care workers into a political force that can actually demand changes and win changes from, from those in power. Um, and now they, they run their own trainings, right? They, oh, there's tons of, uh, we have, look, they have a team of instructors who know how to teach this themselves and facilitators and they, they, they run it themselves, right? They, they teach childcare workers all over the province as well. Um, and have had enormous success. And I think, um, can see that in, in a lot of the, the victories that the childcare movement has had over the past couple of years. You dropped a big name in Canadian electoral politics. There is it, you know, we didn't we didn't mention that at the beginning, but uh, the founder of ICL is Olivia Chow. Yeah. Um, so I think when most people understand that she's attached to this, they would think political leaders. You uh, this is all about politics. But when we hear about your work, you've not mentioned any kind of. Um, electoral politics pressure yes to make legislative change but so you're not out there to build the next prime minister or or are you you know does that fit do politicians fit that definition of leadership like does their position allow for that yeah I, absolutely i don't see why not um i mean you could have certainly have criticisms of electoral politics and and how how it's structured but um we're we're totally nonpartisan organization um we're, we're we're a charity <laughs> have to be by law as well but we do work like folks have taken the course who are who are running for office and i think a lot of these skills and a lot of these principles um are absolutely applicable to to running for for elected office um and there's no reason why you can't run a campaign or a political movement for elected office based on these based on these principles um like some of the way our systems are designed probably um are biased towards like that, the kind of singular figure who's a position of, of total authority um, and, and not so much on like interdependence uh, in that way or, or collective leadership. Um, but the principles themselves, I think, absolutely can be implemented. And I think a lot of the folks who have uh, taken this course, uh, taken this training and who are deeply engaged in this material are, are folks who have, um, uh, um, who, who've, 
uh, are involved in electoral politics as well. Um, and this is, I think, you raised some really good points. Like, I think some of this, um, like Marshall Gantz also worked on, was one of the organizing directors for the 2008 Barack Obama campaign as well. And so a lot of the 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 principles for like um, that really drove Obama's uh, victory in that campaign and that victory over Hillary Clinton in the um, in the primary in 2008 were were based on a lot of these these principles like how to develop grassroots leadership and and um, independent teams that can kind of operate without um, without like top down authority that they take authority for themselves we we call it it's called the snowflake model where you have kind of interdependent non-hierarchical teams that can recruit new people and, and link up with other folks who are who are also on on the team but don't require that kind of top-down structure um which is the source of a lot of his obama success uh in that campaign and actually if you watch some of his speeches um you can really see some of the principles of like that the, the public narrative that you know, like here's who i am here's what calls me to leadership here's how we're we're linked together uh, and the shared challenges that we face, and here's why it's so urgent that we take action now. That structure, it's funny, once you start learning about it, you see it just all the time in really successful, uh, really powerful speeches. And Obama's really um, famous 2004 Democratic Convention speech that launched his career, you can see these principles, these this kind of storytelling techniques come through really clearly. Um, Marshall Gantz has a lot of criticisms of how Obama's presidency turned out, and that's another question. But the, yeah, it can, but these are these are really powerful tools, I think, and can be used um, in a lot of different ways. So these tools that you know, it, it, when you use a methodology, especially if it's dated, right? How does it evolve? How does ICL take what it learns? I mean, how many activists do you think you've trained, Duncan? We have actually, we, we track every, every single, the numbers in every training we do. And I was actually just recently calculating this and running through the spreadsheets that we maintain. And we just actually, the past month, uh, crossed the threshold of 10,000 people we have trained in, in Canada, which was uh, incredible to see. And that's since we were founded in 2015. Um, so that, yeah, that, was, that was a huge milestone for us and, and really exciting. Uh, in terms of how we continue to develop and 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 not stagnate, it's a really good question, and we're we're constantly kind of reworking the curriculum and the slides based on the feedback. Every session, um, evaluation and feedback and uh, an evolution of what we're doing is baked into every training we do. We always have like feedback sessions, like what worked for folks today, what didn't, how can we change, how we how can we improve. Um, literally every single session we do, we always do that. And, and the teaching team always gets together to say like, what was working, what didn't work? Um, how could we improve this? Um, in like a month we're getting together actually like two, two solid days booked just to, to totally rework our curriculum based on kind of what we've been learning. Um, and it's based just in the, in the, in the, the experience of, of working directly with folks from across, across the country, working in all sorts of different industries and backgrounds and causes like here's what worked for people. Here's like where and people's actual experience of, of the training and, and actually implementing it in their work. Like what, what was really valuable for them? Like what, what made them feel like they, they were really excited. What, what, what worked for them when they implemented it in their campaign and then, um, and then changing that around. So we, the curriculum we kind of inherited originally back in 2015 from work from the, from Marshall Gantz, from his, from his course, from organized BC, which is a group, um, in British Columbia that, that was doing doing a lot of similar trainings like this and other folks and, and have kind of updated that and, and continue to evolve. I, that's amazing to think that 
you know, 10,000 people have kind of gone through the doors, so to speak. Yeah. And, and I always think of this, and I mentioned earlier that those 10,000 people have shared that knowledge by now, right? And we cannot measure the impact, but um, that is that is um, quite a substantial number. Um, I do want to say that I can speak from experience. I, I was lucky enough to take a, a three-session uh, course there alongside um, my comrade Jay and and yourself. You facilitated that. And you really did. Um, each session took the feedback from the last and it was immediately incorporated into the next one. And that was really important because it was a group that was specifically focused on accessibility needs. Right. Um, and I was very impressed with that, how fluid you were able to adjust um, and willing Right. Not everyone asks for feedback, but not everybody actually wants it. I've <laughs> learned that, um, particularly in some workplaces. So it's that I found very um, refreshing and promising because then you knew that it would just constantly be this evolving, progressive um, methodology rather than something kind of stuck in time. I do want to also say that one of the things that I got most from that training, or I found the hardest, was doing that personal narrative, that story of self. I know what is wrong. And sometimes I think I know how to fix it, right? Or at least I, you know, I tell myself I do. Levers of power, you know, my political science brain is like, I, I can do this, I, I know. But then it's like, what drives you? What what will connect you to other people. And I've never stopped to think about that. And you're like, well, why? That seems like all in the head kind of fluffy stuff. You don't need to like, just get to work. And it really did impact how I then approached my future interactions, right? You really do need to think of that inner perspective. What drives you? What drives them? What is in common? And you know, all the organizing I'd ever done, I'd never asked myself those questions. So I think I maybe got like six hours of ICL's training or, or whatnot. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I learned so much. Um, so I can only imagine what folks are getting out of the more substantial courses or the real kind of immersion settings that you do with the, the unions or specific campaigns. Um, how do you guys keep going? Like, how do you, you know, let's, you know, your nonprofit, who pays for this? Who can pay to learn how to organize rabble rousers? I mean, I can't. I'll get to it. I just want to, I want to come back to, I, I want to, well, thank you for, for saying all that. And it was, it was really great working with you. Um, and I want to say like, I, like, I was trying to tell my, my story a little bit earlier and I, I kept stumbling over it. I say, I've been doing this for, for many years now and had, and I had so much practice on telling my story, but I still, it's still, it, I still work on it and it's still something that's evolving and trying to think about like what, what does drive me and it, it can change too and constantly evolve. And I think there is a resistance a lot of the time to this. I'm not important here. Like it's not, it doesn't matter what I think it's about the, the, the larger thing. Uh, it's about, you know, don't put me uh, in the center stage and it's not about, it's not about like, because, Oh, your story is like, is so crucial or like we want to focus on the individual to the detriment of everything else. But it is, it is really important because um, I think I've learned through this is in some ways organizing is kind of a fancy word for relationship building. And, and you're asking people to be in a relationship with you, not, not a personal relationship, but like a, a public relationship to say, we're going to, we're going to work together on a thing we, we care about. 
to make a change in the world. There's a change we really need to see. Um, and we're going to make commitments to one another and, and support each other. And like, that is a kind of relationship. And so if you're, if you're asking someone to be in a relationship with you, uh, one, like on an individual level, on a, on a community level, on a group of people, they need to know who you are, right? They need to know what drives you, what your values are, why you care about this. Like, what is it that motivates you to do this? Um, and are you actually, are you actually in this? Do you, do you really care about this? It's just like a thing you're doing, you know, until you find something more interesting. <laughs> like, what is it? Um, and there's nothing, and because we are like human beings are hardwired for stories and it's where we find meaning. It's where we get lessons. It's how we get motivation to carry on the fight. Even when it seems like just totally lost or we can't see any, any reason to go on. Um, and so when we hear someone else's story, like here's something I went through. And so the story I was trying to tell is about like being diagnosed with cancer at a very young age, I was 24 years old and just feeling like a totally broken person who couldn't, who couldn't walk forward, didn't know what I was doing, tried all my life to be like a self-reliant person, like, um, and realizing that that, that wasn't working anymore and that I needed to connect to a larger community and was able to, to link with this amazing community of other young adult cancer survivors who, who knew what I was going through, who had been, um, who'd felt the kind of terror and sense of helplessness and, um, and loneliness and isolation that I had felt, and and I and I was part of something bigger, um, and that really transformed me in a lot of ways, um, and made me like and 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 could and I felt like okay being vulnerable with and and sharing all these things, um, and one of the, and I'm going kind of off on a tangent now, but like one of the, one of the campaigns I'm working on now, um, I'm 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 still connected with this community, and we recently joined a group called AYA Can, it's adolescents and young adult with cancer uh, advocacy and um we're we're fighting for for more resources better conditions and more support for, for young adults with cancer and, and young adult cancer survivors because this is a population that is really forgotten in our healthcare system there's a lot of focus on folks who are who are seniors who get the majority of cancer and, and child childhood cancer have specialized centers as they should um but there's a lot of folks in, in this our age range who fall through the cracks don't get that, that kind of support um, and who are a lot worse off. And so we're, um, we're fighting for, for better care, um, better resources and support across the country. Um, and I went off on a tangent there, but I want, just wanted to share a little bit. Like that's, that is something in, in my experience, realizing like how interdependent I was, how much I relied on other people, let alone the public health healthcare system. I was, I was unemployed when I was diagnosed and I was, I still got really great care. I was really fortunate in that case. Uh, a lot of, a lot of young adults with cancer don't. Um, but there was a whole community there to support me of, of other folks. And, and I realized like how much I did rely on other people and how, how important that is that, that I, that they were there for me. And then afterwards is when I got healthy again, that I could volunteer with this community. I could support other people. I could be there for them. And so that other people who, who were diagnosed after me don't have to go through that kind of sense of isolation and not having the support that I felt. Um, and those kind of talk about like shared values, like maybe, I can share that story and say like, maybe you're not a young adult cancer survivor. Maybe you've never had that, but we've all felt like at one point, like no one understood what we were going through and that there wasn't there someone there to support me at a time when like, I really needed help. I think we've all felt that at some point in our life and like what a difference it would make and what a difference it makes when you fi finally find your people, finally find someone who really gets you and understands what you're going through. Right. And that's what this is about. That's what this community is about. And that's why we want to, we want to support the community of young adult cancer survivors because no one should have to go through that. And so that's, that's, I'm kind of using that as a demonstration as well of like, this is, this is how story can, can unite people. Even when you don't have that experience, 
you can connect it to this larger values, this larger sense of shared values that we have. Um, and 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 if I just said the statistics of here's how many adults with cancer are diagnosed every year, right? It's not the same. Um, and it doesn't, but learning, me learning how to talk about that is something I learned in this course. I learned how to share my experience and here's how it connects to this larger challenge that we face. And here's why we need to take action now was, was so powerful. And that's, that's something every, everyone has a story. Everyone has some kind of challenge that they faced in their life um, where they've made a choice to do something about it. And it tells you something about who they are. And once you've heard that from someone, you know something about them you, and you can, you can say like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's take action together. And here's something about me. And I want to share something about myself. Um, so, and Jess, I know you, you did share your story and in the, in the course, I won't put you on the spot now, but if I'd love to, I'd love to hear if, if you want to, to share, like what, what, what drives you to do this work? Yeah. I remember just, it is a deeply personal connection. I remember just, I was in tears when I, I shared it the first time, I think no problem, but when I had to do it again, it was just, um, the tears came and I remember you asking me, you know, why, why are you, what are those tears for? And I couldn't even explain that. It was, it was a real push on me to explore why I do what I do. And sometimes it's just that inner sense of collective responsibility too, that I have developed over my lifetime from, you know, influence from my father, from being involved with movements. Um, and yeah, you say at the beginning there that you're building relationships, but not personal relationships. And I kind of going, you gotta be kidding. I know you, I know <laughs> what you meant, but those are the most personal relationships I have built because we grow from them, right? Like the folks you organize to change the world with, I think are your close to me, are they like your closest connections? <clears throat> because I, I meant to say they're they're not private. They're not private. I, no, I know, but like even when you said per, like it just cringed, right? Like very, that very, word, very and I was personal. like, they are very the personal. most personal, right? We build these huge connections, and yeah, I mean, right now, what I'm doing, what I'm doing, is to give voice to people. I think there's just so much work that's being done out there that people don't hear about, and um. A lot of people feel like we do where they just want to make so much change and they know that what's going on around them is just not right and they have no idea where to start or they don't picture themselves as a big player. And um, I think it, it would surprise them to see that the folks doing a lot of this work are driven by the same things, are doing work that is completely accessible to them, um, that have starting points. They not they didn't all start as teachers and organizers, right? Um so that's what drives me here. I mean, I'm sure there'll be an episode where I can really sit down and talk about what makes me want to destroy capitalism. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll have to emotionally I wanna, prepare I for go that into, one. I want to go into teacher mode right now, and I want to like <laughs> keep asking questions to really get at get at that. But I, we, we, can, we can we don't have to do that now. That's oh, my uh, my producer Your will show. have to edit out the sobs, right? <laughs> like it's just, it really is personal, right? The work when you organize to these ends, it's, I don't know, it's very comes from within. Like it's a drive that if you don't do it, you're not, you know, it just doesn't sit right with you. And anyone, you know, who organized alongside me will know if I've stopped coming out and organizing and pushing, I'm probably not well mentally. You probably have to come check on me. So it's, it's a matter of, um, for me, it's just, I got to do it. I, and I'll take time to explore it more, but um, 
right now let's, it's just let's like do, a huge... let's do a one-on-one we can we can coach we can do some we can do some practicing if you want i'm game for to. that duncan i i'm <laughs> okay, sure i need it. it so let's do it what let's... i want to pick up on oh, sorry go ahead no go Go. I just want to pick on one thing you said, um, I think in terms of like the sense of like other people who don't think of themselves as, as activists or like, you know, don't know other people care about this. Um, and I think like, like kind of, it's kind of like a, um, a corollary of, of this work that I found really incredible. It's about, it's about making concrete change in the world ultimately and taking action. Right. But it's, it's so important the sense of, of community as well that you, that you get from it and like how, how much, um, it it really addresses a lot of the alienation I think a lot of people feel and like this is a, this is a huge part like a lot of people feel like there's there, there's so much it's kind of overwhelming how many challenges how, how awful a lot of things are in the world um, and the sense of like it, it can be really isolating and really alienating like there's nothing I can do about it and like and people go into like that doomer mindset you know there's like the doomer means like oh nothing matters everything shit whatever. Um, but the, and this is this is such a powerful antidote to to a lot of that I think and um, the way our society is structured we don't we don't have that that sense of solidarity or that sense of being of connection to our neighbor to our community um, and this kind of work baked into it is that sense of community building and that sense of like that kind of alienation or isolation is is absolute poison it's the opposite of of organizing um and organizing is this this kind of organizing and and relationship building which is at its heart is is such a powerful um counter to all that um and that has tremendous i think personal benefits too like the sense of connectedness you you feel to other people and um and and, in telling your story like the sense of like vulnerability and people hearing that and 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 it's it's not about like personal validation but there's kind of like a side effect of it in some ways it's like I can share what the kind of like some of the most important things about who I am and what moves me and other people can make a relationship on that basis. And other people can share their story. And we, we understand that we have things in common and that we're united and that if we come together, we can actually face and deal with the challenges we're facing together. Um, the things that, that most deeply affect and, and harm our community and, and what we're and, and we can win better conditions. We can win justice for ourselves. And these are things that all like just at a personal level are, can be really transformative and can turn something, you know, a lot of people who are jaded and, um, and have dismissed the possibility of things getting better into, into something a lot more, um, uh, motivational. And that's something I constantly, I constantly feel when I'm doing this work, just on a personal level, it's very good because I, I come out so motivated and, and like jazzed and just like uplifted in a way it's like, I was in like a, just last night I was doing, we, with the class we're running right now, like 30 people with, with PSWs. And then, so we had a group of like, it was like a kind of coaching session where like people who were taking it, we just kind of like an open session where we talk about what we're, what we're working on and like what, what I have challenges with in my organizing. I'm like, okay, let's ask questions. Let's brainstorm together. And there was a group of uh, PSWs working on a campaign. It's PSW day coming up on the May 19th, I think maybe, or 29th. I'm getting the date wrong, but they're organized like an action for, to raise, to, to bring people together, to get some, to raise visibility and get, get the word out on PSW day, very short time frame, just to kind of like in their, in their community. Uh, I think in Ontario, I can't remember exactly where. Um, and then another group, a young, a young woman who's organizing like um, uh, a community of support for trans youth and queer youth and connecting with with trans elders and 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 uh, queer elders for intergenerational kind of support because a lot of a lot of queer youth don't have that kind of 
support or mentorship either like some parents don't accept them some parents just like don't don't have that kind of that same experience necessarily and so um this young woman went through that and she's trying to organize folks like a space and a structure for they can come together um and then another person who's organizing like a group of disability justice activists in in alberta and it's just like i i it was a one hour and i was kind of jumping from group to group and people were working and like all di- all working on different campaigns in like different provinces and they were all kind of like sharing tactics and like support and like ideas and brainstorming and it was like the most motivating thing you could possibly think and like everyone came out of it thinking like hey we actually have a lot in common here and like wow the folks who are psws like yeah like in the in the woman with disability justice advocate was like yeah i, I love you guys you, you're so important for for folks in our community and we support you so much and it was just like it was so heartening and like i think you you, you like scroll on twitter and things are just awful all the time you do scroll and it's just like, oh my God, things are, things are terrible. And like, I, I don't know what's activism is about like dunking on Elon Musk. And like, that's very satisfying too. But it's just like, like what's Jordan Peterson saying now? You're just like, oh my God. Like, but then he's like, you can go do this and like actual people doing work at the grassroots, like connecting with their people in their community, trying to make things better. And it's like the perfect antidote to to this sense of just like things are terrible and the world's falling apart and like Trump's going to be reelected in 2004 and like Roe v. Wade is getting overturned. And like, I don't mean like things, things are genuinely like are awful. And I'm, I'm a very privileged person. Um, and people are facing awful challenges and awful, so many, and so much injustice, but like this, this kind of stuff is um, people can come together and take action together. Um, and there's ways to do it. And I think the, what's really powerful for me is, is it does demystify a lot of it. Um, and it makes it, it's not just like, it's a set of tangible skills you can learn to actually bring people together and make a change when you don't have anything but your story and, um, and your community. You mentioned all these things and it was like you were doom scrolling for us, but it's true. Like every time <laughs> those things come up though, they drive people together as well. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, folks often say it has to get worse before it gets better right perhaps some of these awful things that we go through then you know spur the camaraderie and the solidarity that we need but i think i don't know i don't know about that it can it can always get worse this is the thing oh well yeah i mean yeah you you can organize yeah but yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean yeah no it's just my favorite part about organizing like you do get hope right we do a lot of bitch sessions too right and that, that <laughs> terminology might not be great but that's especially when we're grassroots ndp members we seem to have a lot to complain about um but my favorite part is what we learn from each other whether it literally be a skill set, you know, for the the resume, so to speak, or just different perspectives or approaches. And every time I go into spaces, especially, you know, where I am to lead the space, so to speak, I even feel uncomfortable saying that. But I don't think the folks around, like I may be chairing the meeting or whatnot, but I don't think they realize I'm gleaning the most out of out of everybody else. Like it is just constant knowledge being soaked up by the people around you. Um, often from people who think they have nothing to provide, right? The, the quietest people that, that join into some of the organizing circles often have the most to give knowledge wise. And so um, I loved, cause I was going to ask you, you know, do you think you can train leaders? Like, can everybody be a leader? But you answered that quite early on that you do think everybody can be a leader. And I believe you, 
Um, I think that's true. I think folks just need to, one, they need tools, quite like literal, literal tools, but they need that, that encouragement. They need the solidarity that brings um, confidence and, and safe spaces so that they can be um, those brave people that we know that they are right. Like not every space is safe to, to organize in. So what yeah, do you think? I think um, I was just going to say, like, it totally reinforcing what you said, like in our, when we do the storytelling session, it, it is almost always, and it's almost a cliche at this point, like 90% of the time when we're in a small group and someone's like, I really don't have a story to tell. I don't know what I'm going to say. They always have like the most powerful knockout, incredible story when they actually tell it. And it's just, it's just, ah, you know, I don't know what to say. I, I really, I don't have anything. And then they tell this like incredibly powerful, like well, almost like well-crafted, but they're just talking authentically um, and, and sharing something. And you're just like, that was so incredible. What are you talking about? Like, it's always those people who are just like, I, I don't have anything to say, but then they come out with this, this incredible story. Um, we are near the end of our discussion, so I always like to make sure that we leave view or viewers. We'd like to leave listeners with a call to action. So, um, short of you know, tell us one: how do we get involved with ICL on different levels? But maybe on a more personal level, you can give folks um, a bit of call to action here. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, so you can find us online at changeleaders.ca, and we uh, we work with every every group, um, and um, regardless, we 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 have sliding scales. We do pro bono trainings too. We try not to turn anyone away for lack of lack of funds. So anyone can. We love love to work with anyone. Really, um, if you have a campaign, you have a cause, a community uh, facing a challenge, we'd love to work with you and partner with you. Um, and I'm at Duncan at changeleaders.ca. Um, please reach out, send us an email. We'd love to collaborate. Um, and I, I was speaking on a personal level. I was speaking about AYA uh, CAN before. Um, we're adolescent young adult cancer advocacy. You can, uh, very relatively new, but AYACAN.ca um, to get involved in that campaign. Um, and uh, for us at, at Institute for Change Leaders, um, we're on social media at I Change Leaders or I Change Leaders on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram too. Um, call to action: send send me send me an email, send me, send us a message. We'll get back to you. Um, we'd love to collaborate. Love to work with you. I'm sure you know. Ideally, we have a lot of activists listening in, um, and all of us I know are struggling to get what we need done done because the world is still the way it is, right? So. I encourage people to reach out to Duncan and to ICL and see what they have to offer. Like I said, I took a really transformative, very short period of time course. And um, yeah, I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, thank you again, Duncan. I, I'm definitely going to take you up on some one-on-one -on -one conversations because I, like I said, I just find it very powerful to explore your own story as well as hearing others. And I am kind of one of those people that think um, I don't have much to offer. You'll, you'll notice I'm on a platform and I'm just giving it to other people. <laughs> so um, maybe I have some work to do there and, and understanding what drives me a little bit. So I appreciate you kind of pushing, pushing us as a collective and me and, and putting me on the spot, so to speak. 
I don't want to take, there's just one other thing that I was thinking about. Um, um, and it kind of goes back to the sense of like, we don't, um, people aren't taught about organizing or these kind of practices when they're, when they're growing up. And I think, I think, I think about like a, a couple of years ago, I was in, um, it was, a, it was a museum of the civil rights movement. Um, and it taught, it was, but it was a museum of organizing when I, when, when you look at it and it was, it was all about like, here's at the at step by step, like here's how they built their relationships and community by community and church by church and told their, shared their stories and built communal, communal support and came together to, and even like the um, Rosa Parks, like the Montgomery bus boycott, right. That was like, people talk about it. Like, Oh, she just, she just decided not to, to stand up and, and not to give up her seat for a white man. But it was meticulously planned, right? Every bit of that was was very intentional thinking, like, what's the strategy behind this? What are we going to do? Like, how is this going to uh, go into align with our strategic goals and the, our approach and our capacities? Um, and it was it was really, and this was, I, I was I was already kind of teaching and involved with the Institute by this point. And it was just wonderful to see, because I think we're taught all the time that the civil rights movement was Martin Luther King gave a speech <laughs> in 1963 out in Washington and, you know, and, and the president signed the civil rights, uh, act, but like, um, and, and Martin Luther King, he was an organizer, right. Um, and, um, and the, partly it's just the way his history is taught is to reduce the collective and, and reduce the, the experience of, of millions of people coming together to make a change. It's easier to, 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 um, to talk about one person. It also, in a way diminishes the, the the millions of people who contributed to this and that this doesn't this didn't come because one person came gave a speech it came because millions of people came together and and organized and took action and they're going to have to do that again to um to to win and to address a lot of the ongoing injustices that we all face um and so i think teaching that that approach and, and people learning that it wasn't just one person it wasn't one leader or one moment people could it wasn't one moment. It was people coming together and in over a long period of time and taking action together that really made a difference. Um, and I think if we, if we taught that and if more people knew that then people would feel more, more hope that not waiting for someone to come along and fix it, uh, but, but coming together with people in their community to do it themselves. I appreciate you making sure to add that on because that that's a very valuable lesson. It is often reduced to something very reactionary, you know, um, she just Rosa Parks just couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, and I imagine there was a lot of that involved, but that it, it does take a certain amount of work. But but again, we know why we're not taught exactly how changes come about. But um that's not gonna stop us from teaching it, right? So Thanks so much for having me, Jess. No, thanks for taking the time to come on, Duncan. I'm excited uh, to provide, you know, another set of tools for folks. And um, it's always interesting talking to you. So I, I appreciate it. Keep up the good work, Duncan. Like in all things that we do, there's a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon backslash bp of disruption so if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show please reach out to us on twitter at bp of disruption blueprints of disruption is a project of new left media an independent employee-owned company